person commits is really the sin of idolatry. It's idolatry through some avenue. So really the struggle of humanity is that all of our hearts are idol factories. It's just a matter of what shape, size, or sort. God wants each one of us to put away the idols in our own hearts. And in order to put away the idols in our hearts, we have to ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom to understand what are my heart idols. When he tells his household to eliminate any idols in their midst, he sets the tone for his house. As Pastor Daniel instructs today, this underscores the importance for men to be the spiritual leaders in their homes. Jacob's motive is to honor God and his wives and children follow his lead. We'll find that Jacob and his people are protected and blessed under God's covering. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Genesis, chapter 35, verse 1 with part one of his message entitled, Mop Up. This is the series that we're calling Brothers, because the focus of chapters 34 to chapters 50 of the book of Genesis really focuses down now on the sons of Jacob. But as you saw that tonight we're doing something that we're calling the Patriarch's Mop-Up. And I've always wanted to put Mop-Up in a sermon title. I mean, when do you ever get to put Mop-Up in there? I mean, just it's not normal, but we wanted to roll with it because that's exactly what chapters 35 and 36 are, is the Holy Spirit inspires Moses and whoever else was involved in the compilation of the book of Genesis to make sure that we close in the narratives of both Jacob and Esau. So although the scene seems to shift to the sons, there is still a concern to make sure that a period is placed at the end of the sentence of the lives of these patriarchs. And so we really wanted to spend some time there. So let's jump right in. Genesis chapter 35 in verse 1. It says, Then God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel, And dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. In verse 4. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was it, that was by Shechem and then journeyed. And the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them. And they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now, the narrative, we just saw that Jacob's sons had just ransacked 
Shechem. Do you remember? Uh, their sister Dinah got raped. And, and they went in. They had all the guys get circumcised under false pretense. And then they went on in and killed them. And chapter 34 ends with the reality that Jacob is concerned for their safety. He's like, look, we did this. And they're going to come against us. There's going to be um, some issues that we're going to have. And so right from there, God comes to Jacob and tells him, Arise, go to Bethel, and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And oftentimes, in the midst of our greatest calamities, when things are the most precarious, that is when God shows up. As I've always said, you've heard me say it before, I'll say it again, that if you're in a hard situation, you're a prime candidate for a miracle. When everything's going golden well, no problem, then it's really no problem. But when trials happen and struggles happen, that is an opportunity for God to show up for us. And right in the midst of this concern, things are not well with Jacob and his sons at the moment. And then God shows up and says, look, I want you to go back to Bethel, where God met with you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau, and I want you to worship there. Now, in verse 2, Jacob said, to his household, and to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. You know there's so much application there for us, isn't, isn't there? When we want to worship God, when we want to worship God, we need to put away the foreign gods from among us. And Martin Luther in his commentary on the Ten Commandments, made a statement that I agree with very much, that the reason people break the commandments of God is because they always break the first commandment, that you shall have no other gods before me. Every sin that a person commits is really the sin of idolatry. It's idolatry through some avenue. So really the struggle of humanity is that all of our hearts are idol factories. It's just a matter of what shape, size, or sort. God wants each one of us to put away the idols in our own hearts. And in order to put away the idols in our hearts, we have to ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom to understand what are my heart idols. We all have them. Every single human soul that has ever lived on the face of the earth since the fall of Adam and Eve has an idolatry problem. And our idols are what keep us from worshiping God in spirit and in truth, from beholding all that God is for us in Christ. And I have them, you have them, everyone we meet has them. Now what happens is, is that when you come to know Christ and you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, now you have an internal check by the Holy Spirit to help you understand what your idols are. And all we have to do is say, Lord, will you reveal my heart idols to me? What are they? And Lord, I want to put away those idols from my life. Lord, will you help me? I, I put it on Twitter today from the very last verse of 1 John. Little children, keep yourself from idols. When we realize that our hearts are perpetual idol factories, when we realize that, then as good old-fashioned G.I. Joe, that great American theologian says, knowing is half the battle. We want to understand what's my heart idols, and we need to put them away from us. We need to say, God, I want to dispose of those idols that are in my heart by your Holy Spirit. Not only that, he says, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. 
God wants to purify. And that idea of changing your garments, of course, that's picked up in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24, as when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we remove the old garments, the soiled garments, and we put on these new garments, these purified white in the righteousness of Jesus garments. So this idea of changing your clothes, that it's a picture of purification. And if you're here today and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, God is in the process of purifying us. We know that in our justification, we are ultimately purified. And in our sanctification, we are in the the process of experiencing that change that God did for us. So you have to realize that justification, it's a change in position, and sanctification is a change in experience. So that process of being set apart in Christ is the process of us experiencing who God made us through our justification. And so God wants each one of us to purify ourselves and be changing our clothes. And what's interesting is that if you're here in Christ, the reality, if you've trust in Jesus, is that he has already changed your clothes, but we kind of like the old messy clothes. He's given us new clothes, but we love the messy ones. And you guys know what it's like, right? I have some clothes that I've had for like 20 years. And yet, they're ratty. They look terrible, but they're really comfortable, right? Because I've worn them a lot. They fit me perfectly. And for a lot of us, our spiritual lives are that way as well. We've been doing X, Y, and Z for so long, and it just feels comfortable. It kind of fits like a glove. But that's not who we are now. It's just who we used to be. And we like to go back to that. I remember when I was a little younger and I was still living in my parents' house. Or I was in college at the time. And I'd come home and my grandma would like take my clothes and like sew them up. And at that time I was really, I mean, I was, you know, just a total bachelor. So, you know, washing clothes wasn't fun either, you know. Because, you know, when after clothes get washed, they don't really feel the same. But when you've worn them about 20 times, they're like super comfy. You know, really comfy. And my grandma, literally, I'd go to sleep, she'd sneak in my room, and she'd grab my clothes, and I'd get them back, and they'd be all folded. They'd have, like, lines in them and stuff. You know, like, when grandmas fold, they really, it's like, it's like store-bought, you know? And she'd take a a, a threaded needle, and she'd, she'd put up all the holes. You remember, you put the sweaters with the holes for the thumbs? Now they make them that way. Back in the day, you just popped your thumb through, you know? And she would sew them up. My grandma, what are you doing to my favorite sweater? Well, it's got holes in it. I'm like, those, those holes need to be there. That's the way you wear that thing, you know, with your thumbs. Then what started to happen was, is that every Christmas, my, my grandma, and now my wife has picked this up, is that every year I get a brand new black cable knit sweater. Because I love my black cable knit sweaters. And every year now, my grandma started to buy them for me. Like every year, it's, she, she'd hide the old one, she'd throw it out or burn it or something, and I'd get a new one. And the reality is, is that's what God wants to do in our lives. That we like the old, dirty clothes. We like the old life. We return to it so comfortably. But God wants us to put on new clothes, the righteousness of Christ. We want to live out what God has placed into us. Notice in verse 3, let us arise and go to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. Don't neglect to praise God for what he is doing and has done in your life. There is such a wealth of reasons to praise God. 
How many deliverances? How many miracles? How many things has he done? And so often he does it, we forget to go back and say thank you. Praise him. And you know what you call somebody who you do something really nice for and they don't say thank you? You know what we call those? Brats, that's right. And I remember he said, you get in trouble because some of you know, when I was a little kid and you get a present and you just take it, you go play with it. You never come back and say, thank you. My parents used to get on me. Hey, that's not, that's rude. So many of us struggle with this because God does these, we pray, pray, pray. And then God does something. We never go back and say, Lord, you're awesome. Thank you. Jacob says, I'm going to go make an altar to the God who's delivered me, who's been with me all this way. We have a wealth of reasons to praise the Lord just in our own experiences. So let's not neglect those opportunities. Now, in verse 4, so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. So Jacob commanded his house, and his house followed. His house followed. You men, your spiritual heads are your homes, according to God. And you need to be a spiritual man in order to lead. You need to be spiritual in order to be a spiritual leader. And men, you set the tone for your house. I know that some, for some of you are saying, that's so old school. I mean, come on. It's a 21st century men, the spiritual heads of their homes. You know what I've learned? Women really want their husbands to be spiritual leaders. God's daughters say, I want my man to love Jesus and follow him. That's what they say. So you guys don't give up that opportunity. God has entrusted you with it. And you set the tone for your house, for better or for worse. So grab hold of that. Husbands, love your wives. Wash them with the water of the word. Men, invest in your family. Set the pace for your homes. Your wives really want to be loved as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You guys set the pace. Jacob set the pace. Man, they start bringing their idols. They even bring their earrings. Now, in that culture, earrings were worn as amulets or charms, often consecrated to some certain god. And so it wasn't like, uh uh-oh, you know, earrings are evil and you can't have them. It wasn't that. But oftentimes those earrings meant more. And a lot of the jewelry in the ancient Near East had uh, spiritual religious connotations to it. So that's why the women are giving up their earrings, not because Jacob wanted to put all the gold in his ears and on his teeth and stuff. It wasn't what he was trying to do. But it's interesting, where does he bury them? He buries them at the tree. What's the tree a picture of? The cross. Yeah, it's kind of a mystical interpretation, but we can roll with it. Bury your idols at the cross. Bury him right there. Leave him with the Lord. Leave him with Jesus. Now, we find in verses 5 to 7 that Jacob and his family are protected. Notice, and they journeyed, and the terror of the Lord was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So God protected Jacob from what he was afraid of. He comes to Luz, that is Bethel in the land of Canaan, He and all who were with him. And there he built an altar and he called the place El Bethel. El Bethel means God of the house of God. Bethel means house of God. Two Hebrew words slammed together, Beth and El, and God of the house of God. He builds an altar there and he worships the Lord. Now, beginning in verse 8, 
we start getting all these loose ends, the mop-up, the tie-up. Because look at what happens in verse 8. Now Deborah, or in that culture be Deborah, Rebecca's nurse died, and she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Alan Bakuth. Now Deborah, or Deborah, she had spent a lot of time. She was Rebecca's nurse. So in a lot of ways, if you remember back in Genesis 24, verse 59, it says, so they sent Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servants, and his men. So when Rebekah came to Isaac, her nurse came with her. So now we find the death of Deborah, and it's interesting that they named this place Elan Bakuth, which literally means the oak or the terebinth of weeping. So this was a beloved family member, the nurse of Rebekah. So you get that right there in verse 8. Now in verse 9, then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padanaram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you, and to your descendants after you I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him. Bethel. Now, I like this because God comes, speaks to Jacob, and again, God blesses him in verse 9. In verse 10, he revisits the name change. Your name is Jacob. We know, if you recall, that it means heel catcher. And he changed his name to Israel, which means governed by God. So, God revisits, I changed your name. No longer are you going to be called Jacob. Israel is your name. And then as you get to verse 11, we get God and the people. We get this revisiting of the promise that God made to Abraham. He made it to Isaac, and now he makes it to Jacob again. He says, I am God Almighty. That is El Shaddai. It means the all-sufficient one. And we have to ask ourselves, is God the all-sufficient one in our lives? One of the things that I am constantly learning from the Lord is that God truly is sufficient. I just think sometimes that he's deficient for me. That I'm always trying to make something be sufficient for me when really only God can be that. And that's really what idolatry is, isn't it? It's trying to find our sufficiency in something that can never really satisfy. But we try and try and try as much as we can. But God is the almighty one. He is the all-sufficient one. And God wants to prove himself that in our lives. And at some point we start saying, God, I'm not going to try and find sufficiency in my spouse or in the thoughts of a significant other or in a job that I'm trying to attain to or some status. But God, I will remember that you are the sufficient one that only you satisfy, that only you will bring complete and total nourishment to my soul. But God says, hey, I am the all-sufficient one. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. So there's the reminder that God is giving a people who are going to be called by his name. 
He reminds him, be fruitful and multiply. And it's kind of funny because Jacob's already been doing that, hasn't he? He's got a lot of kids already. But he says, be fruitful and multiply. In verse 12, as we always see in these covenantal passages, God, the people, and the land. I am God Almighty. The people, be fruitful and multiply. And then verse 12, the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you and to your descendants after you, I give this land. You can look at the whole Bible in God, the people, and the land. And we've talked about this at our midweek. It's God, the people who he calls by his name, and the place of residence. It begins in Genesis. The book of Revelation ends with the same theme, God, the people, and the land. God, the people, and their dwelling place. Verse 13, God goes up from there, or or it could be translated departed from the place where he talked with him. And what does Jacob do? He sets up a pillar where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. So Jacob made an offering. Remember, praise. The root of praise is sacrifice. The giving up of something. That is the root. When we think of praise, right, we always think of, I'm just, I'm just enjoying God. But really the root of praise is I'm giving up myself so that I can enjoy God. Because I can't enjoy myself and enjoy God at the same time. So really we're giving up ourselves for total radical enjoyment of who God is. Now, verse 16. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor labor, that the midwife said to her, do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was as her soul was departing, for she died that she called his name Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. But his father called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. So now we find the death of the matriarch, the death of, of Rachel. She, remember, Rachel was Jacob's favorite. He thought he was marrying her. He ended up with Leah. Remember, she only had one son. She had Joseph. Now we find that as they're traveling from there, she's with child. She's having a hard labor. And her midwife tells her, don't fear. You're going to have a son also. But as she was giving birth, she died. And she wants to call the son the son of my sorrows. And Jacob wants to call him the son of my right hand. So we find the death of Rachel in childbirth. Now, notice where Rachel dies. Bethlehem, and we also have that name Ephrath. Jesus is When we have the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to check ourselves and find the idols in our lives. We heard from Pastor Daniel about how God wants to throw away the worn-out life and replace it with the new, righteous life, what He has placed in us. God is doing some amazing things with Jesus' Real Radio, 
It's our vision to see Jesus is Real Radio on more radio stations worldwide and to help change lives across the globe. You can help see this vision come to life by sending a gift of any amount to 7708 Northeast 78th Street, Vancouver, Washington, 98662. Again, to send a gift of any amount to Jesus is Real Radio, simply send your gift to 7708 Northeast 78th Street, Vancouver, Washington, 98662. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share how God wants to revisit our places of pain, be a redeemer of broken things. We'll find that when we trust in Him, He can make something glorious. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series entitled Brothers. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.